All right. Hey, thank you, Ben, and thank you for singing and worship and encouraging my heart this morning. Uh, it's always good to be with you, uh, and uh, we're we're with you in what is now the third part of what we got going on—a seven-part series we're calling "Engendered Species." Now, if you're with us and you're just kind of getting getting settled in, you're like, "What are we talking about?" All right. Um, this is a series designed to help us rediscover the beauty of God's design for men and women. And if you've been tracking with us at all for the next, for the last several weeks, you will know that we've asked a couple questions along the way. Now, let me pause before I keep going here and, and just say one thing. Let me just step out of message and then back in, okay? I'm going to step out for a minute. Ready? Okay, good. We ready? Okay. Last week was difficult, okay? Even in delivering the message, and I know for you in hearing a message with all the, the emotion of what we were dealing with last week, and I get that. I just want you to know... As we continue to move forward, we're going to continue to talk like this and try to come up with a new normal with great care and love and sensitivity for one another. Okay? And, and last week was let's continue rolling in care and love for each other, and we're going to continue moving in this series in this way. Okay? Now, not meaning to be insensitive, I don't think it is. I think you understand where we're at. Okay? So, stepping out, stepping back in. Again, I want you to know where my heart is here, okay? Seven back in. We are in a third part of a seven-part series. Week one, okay, week one, here's what we ask, and this is the kingpin question of all of this thinking. Is there a moral authority on what is right or wrong on men and women and how we understand them in our world? Or is it just a matter of who has the best argument and who can argue? Is there a moral authority or is it just who's the most persuasive? Is it right or wrong? If you can't answer that question, then it becomes difficult to move forward. I tried to argue that in the beginning, God, and if in the beginning God created, he has a moral authority, has a reason for why he did what he did. Now, you can disagree with me if you want to, but I want you to know that's my foundation for how I see things. Last week, you may or may not remember this, but here we, whoa, baby, here we go. Okay, last week we talked about this, that humanity has value because of God's image. Because the image of God a man, every male and female has intrinsic value. And then we said this, that God's image includes gender distinction, that God didn't just make humanity, but he made male and female, and he made a decision somewhere along the line, I'm going to make a male human, and I'm going to make a female human, and I'm going to stamp both with my image, and this is my beautiful design for human flourishing. This is what I'm going to do. Both male and female stamped with God's image, therefore equal. The gender equality is not about stripping away the distinctions lest we become less than what God created us for, but gender equality is understanding the equal value of God's image in both men and women. All right? Last week, I then said, okay, if that's true, that God has created male and female, here's a key question. What does it mean to be a man, and what does it mean to be a woman? That's a good question to ask. We've been asking that for a long time. So today only, today we're asking this simple question, what is a man? What in the world is a man? Now, with this being said, men, um, I have some experience in the field. All right, not... Uh, not I know what it is to be male, at least. All right, you can decide if I'm a man by the time this thing is over, because right? we know that those words mean different things. right? And we also know there's a difference between a boy and a man. right? No one ever walks into a kindergarten class and welcomes all the men to class. Like That would be ridiculous. There's no men who go to 
kindergarten. We know those are boys, but they are biologically male in the middle of a class of biologically female girls. And so the boys, you're like, hey, look, we have boys in our kindergarten class, so there are no incoming men in kindergarten. We just understand the distinction. So being a man is not about just biology. You don't just get to be called a man because you're born biologically male. It doesn't work that way. So what does it mean to become a man? Okay, men or boys, if you've ever been like me, you've heard people say along the way, man up, all right? Or men don't cry. I mean, that's the default reaction. I didn't even prep you for that, but that's the reaction. Men don't cry, right? In other words, our society will teach us along the way, hey, toughen up, man up, grow up, don't cry, kind of cut some things out of your life. Hey, that's Woman's work, you ever hear that? Okay, we're going to talk about that. That's woman's work. You don't do that. Women, have you ever been like, if only I could date a real man? <clears throat> Where are all the real men, right? You ever just said, oh, men. What are you, what are you saying? I mean, like, wow, man, men, aren't men awesome? No. So listen, we all have default reactions to what it means to be a man. And some of that reaction is bad, like there's uh, never been a woman, okay? But women reacting to men that way are like, ooh, there's something about that man that, ooh, I can't believe him. They're so insensitive. They just don't get it. I don't want to solve the problem. I just want to talk about it. I'm like, you're right. We don't get it. We do not get it. And we're never going to get that. It doesn't make any sense in the world. I just, uh, what's the deal? There are categorical differences between men and women. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? And what does it mean to man up? All right, what does it mean? And who teaches us that? All right, if there's confusion on the issue, you better believe that our little boys are going to grow up and wonder and be fed from the world in which they grow up the answer to the question, what does it mean to be the most manly man I can be? What does it mean to be a man? And they're going to be fed that from all different kinds of sources. Now, in this series, um, I'm trying to be... Uh, setting a foundation for how we think about men and women and their interactions with each other. If you've come into this series and you are hoping that I would talk about this issue or that issue or this issue, talk to me about that now. Okay? We have these hashtags up here on social media. We're tracking the conversation there. Some people have emailed me other questions about how men and women get along, even how to deal as a parent with questions of, you know, should my child hang out with someone's child uh, in a same-sex relationship or someone who, a kid who's trying to figure out if they're transgender or not, you know, what should I do as a Christian? Good questions, keep asking them. We're going to get to that as the series unfolds, but I'd love to hear your questions on this end. To get to that point, though, we have to understand, first of all, what even is a man and what even is a woman, and then talk about how do the two interact and what, what is our worldview for how we do that. Today, we're asking the question about men. Now, let me say this as well. Um, we are having a conversation about men in our national conscience in North America in response to, um, in much regard, the feminist movement. Now, the feminist movement has pushed into and kind of tried to deconstruct some of what it is meant to be a man, and the movement has said, hey, women can do that too. Women are able to do this as well, and men, rightly seeing that, yes, women can, let's just say, for argument's sake, lead well, in fact, in many cases, better than some men. Mm, maybe men just aren't in the role of leadership that we, by default, thought they should be in. There's been a deconstruction in the broad terms of a patriarchal society, 
which men are just kind of inherently stronger or better, and kind of a deconstruction of that assumption. And now men in the world in which we live in now are finding themselves trying to figure out what does it mean to be a man in a world in which feminism has begun to deconstruct some default values and definitions of being a man. So in that light of that, especially in our uh, millennial generation, we read things like this in an article in The New Yorker. There was a research group called JWT. Um, they gave a report and here's what it says. The JWT report gives an overall impression that just like femininity, masculinity is increasingly defined by both playing to and against type. Now check this out. It's growing a really impressive beard All right, and ordering a kale salad for lunch. It's both. I mean, you can grow a good old beard and you can eat, order a kale salad for lunch. It's knowing Super Bowl trivia and being an emotionally supportive partner. But if this makes it sound like men are joining women and having a less gender-bound view of, them, of the sense of self, it's not that simple. According to the JWT research, even though millennial men are more than older men okay with using concealer and learning to poach eggs, they also say they're more frustrated with not knowing what it means to be a man. Randy Thomas says this, We've lost our history of what it means to be a man and our history of what it means to be a woman, and activists have worked to obliterate that history because they feel it's sexist. So if a man doesn't know how to teach a little boy how to be a man, there's a void there. And in that void, it's no wonder we're coming up with all kinds of ways to identify. Absolutely right. Does God have anything to say about this? In my view, it's a... It's a straightforward question. Does the creator of the universe who created male and female have anything to say about why I created men and women? I, I think so. I'd like to take you to a passage of scripture that to me is very foundational to understanding what it means to be a man, and I hope it is very helpful to you. Here's my promise to you this morning. I am going to define what it means to be a man this morning. You are going to be able to leave with a definition of what it means to be a man. That's what I will promise to you. Now, I will not promise that you will agree with me. It's going to be on you. You don't have to agree with that. You get to interact with us. You get to push back. You get to object. You get to do whatever you want. I'm just telling you, I'm going to put that out for you. I'm going to interact with that. I'm going to try to explain why I feel that way from the scriptures. And then we're going to push further into that even next week. And you get to decide Man, what am I going to do with this, and what are the implications for me? So, let's get there in the book of Genesis, the first book in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a Bible in the pew around you. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, it's our gift to you. We'd be glad to have you take that with you. At the book of Genesis, um, very beginning, you just turn that Bible open, and there you go. Genesis chapter 2, beginning at verse 4, the account of the heavens and the earth, how they were created. Reading the first, well, reading about 11 verses in here. Beginning of verse 4, Genesis 2. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no, what, man to, what, work the ground. There was no man to work the ground the ground. Verse 6, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the earth. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. 
And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of the life, tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds around through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. Verse 13, the name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Finally, here in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay, this is our text for the morning. I want you to see what's going on. This is set up contextually, okay? What's happening here is happening in the Bible before sin enters the world. That's very important to understand. What's happening here is happening before sin enters the world. And so when God created man, he put him into a garden to work and take care of it. And that's our primary phrase, two words. See that in verse 15. He takes him, it's almost like he dangles him and then drops him in the garden. He says, your job here, my friend, is to work and take care of it. A pre-fall condition, right? That's Christians the way that we talk about that, meaning before you fall into sin, before humanity fell into sin, as God was creating an ideal world, he's saying the ideal for man is to be productive, to work and take care of it. This is how you've been wired to work and take care of it. This is not a result of the curse. Right? Going to work and having to work is not a blight on humanity. Is Vacation is not our aim as men. We were not created to vacate the world. We were created to work, which is why you get stir-crazy after a while if you're not doing something. Right? We're created to work. Now, let's talk about what work means. I want to talk about work, and then I want to talk about what take care of it means. Two phrases in verse 15 I want you to hone in on. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden. Why? The first answer, to work it. Secondly, to take care of it. Two different words in the Hebrew, two different understandings of what's going on. To work it. All right, To work it, this Hebrew word, obda, this word occurs 290 times. 227 of those, it has the idea of to serve. Let me say that again. It shows up 290 times. 227 of those, the vast, vast, vast majority, includes the idea of to serve. Even where it doesn't show up as to serve, that root concept of service is foundational to the concept of work. So when God puts a man in the garden, the idea is serve the garden. Serve my purposes. And so work, as it is initially created for men, is not, first of all, so that we can work for our benefit, but that we can serve for the benefit of others. That we're to plant, (laughs) replant, do all this stuff that we're doing for the benefit of other people. This is why when work is perverted, bad things happen. When men go to work, 
to escape the pressures of home and overwork to make more money for themselves or give more of their energy to work so that their reputation is increased, work as it's understood is perverted. It is wrong in that case. And this is where wives get frustrated with men. Why don't you come back and help me in the home? And the husband says, well, I'm working and providing. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? You're supposed to serve in your work. Your work is to serve the people around you. And so if the work you do is not serving the people around you, you're out of line with how God has created man in the garden pre-fall. The orientation of my work is for the benefit of the people around me. God has put me in a position as a man to work. Work, work, work. Serve, serve, serve. Do not overwork for the glory of your reputation or for the advancement of your hobbies, but for the benefit of the people who are dependent upon you. And you will know, if you'll listen, when that overwork becomes a problem. To work the ground and to take care of it. That second phrase, to take care of it, carries this idea of managing, nurturing, guarding, or keeping. It's as if God is saying, I have created the garden... You're going to serve my purposes by maintaining what I have created. You're going to take care of, you're going to steward, you're going to manage that which has been put here in front of you. That you're going to mow the lawn, prune the trees, reseed if you need to, clean up the bird poop, you know, if that happened before the fall, I don't know, right? Take care of, manage what is here. And so if God creates a garden and creates humanity for the benefit of humanity, and if man is to serve that purpose and manage and take care of, then man should also be after human flourishing, the very same thing that God is after. If he's created a place, and God is interested in human flourishing and growth, then he puts man in there saying, take care of my interests. My interests are for the benefit of those whom I have made. You are going to be my steward and manager of these things. Take care of, manage, and serve that which I have entrusted you with. This is what I see in the Garden of Eden. This leads me to my definition of manhood, okay? I'm going to put a definition up here. I'm going to walk through it, and you get to figure out if you like it or not. It won't take you long to figure that out. The bigger issue is what am I going to do with it? This definition I made up. All right, this is not from Webster's. It's not from any other source. This is something that I put together on the basis of this, and so here you go. You get to say, you know, I like it, I don't like it. On the basis of Genesis 2, when I ask the question, what is a man? And I think about why in the world God would have created man in the first place and put him in a garden to work it and take care of it before the fall, before sin entered the world. Here's what I think. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is, this is a little bit uh, of a mouthful. You will not be able to repeat this unless you're really awesome or unless you write it down and, and go with it. It's not too terribly long, but let me explain it here. What is a man? Here we go. A man is a biologically born male who grows into his role of headship by using his strength to serve those around him through ordering the world for their benefit. Whew. Read that again. A man is a biologically born male who grows into his role of headship by using his strength to serve those around him through ordering the world for their benefit. 
I want to take this piece by piece. You're going to see them highlighted up here as we go. First of all, a man is biologically born male. I'm not talking about a biologically born female who later identifies as a man. We've had that conversation in week one. We can continue to have that conversation. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about biologically born male human beings. Biologically born male who grows, who grows. Now, this is a growth thing. There are some cultures that have uh, ceremonies that all of a sudden you go when you're 12 or 13, you go from here, boyhood, to manhood. Or, you know, at the age of 18, you can now vote, you're a man, you get to go out of the house, you get to drop out of school if you want to. All of a sudden you're an adult in the eyes of society. Maybe you're 16, you get to drive a car. You know, maybe you're 21, you can drink, and all of a sudden you're a man now that you can drink. I wonder how he handles his alcohol, like a man or not, right? That's not it, right? So here's the deal. A man is a biologically born male who grows into this. Now, there is a it is impossible and, and a foolish pursuit to say you're 18-year man, you're 21-year man. That's not the point. I think you understand that. The point is a growth point. The point is you know, let me put it this way, you know when it doesn't happen. Right? You know, and you can look at men and you know, oh man, that, that guy is 25 years old and still living in his parents' basement wearing PJs and playing video games. Like, that, that's not going to be what we're talking about here. Somewhere along the line, that growth got stunted. Now, let's kind of encourage that growth to happen more. This is why we talk about children's ministry and the encouragement of growing little boys into men. And we're going to talk about men as fathers in your home. What does this look like? Next week, we're going there. What does it mean to encourage the growth of your sons into manhood? What does that mean? So a biologically born male who grows into his role of headship. Now let's talk about this. <laughs> let's talk about this. This is where you may want to push back a little bit. That's fine. Push back if you want to. Let me, let me say this. The role of headship. Let me talk to women first. Um, I am married. I have a mom. I also have daughters. I'm not against women. Okay? I am for the growth maturity, and the best of women. I have read and been influenced by incredibly wise, brilliant women who have shaped me. They're courageous, intelligent leaders who are women. The issue of headship is not a matter of superiority versus inferiority. The biblical language of headship does not imply if the man is in a role of headship, the woman must be the pinky finger. It's not the comparison. I'm going to use language that's not in the Bible to try to explain to you how I see the role of headship as for men compared to what the role of women might be because the default can be if, women, if men are the head, and we can't afford to be without the head, but we can afford to be without the little pinky. Like, you can lose the pinky and still go on. Like, is that what women are? The pinky? If man's ahead of me, what gives? Come on. This is not in the Bible. I just want you to understand what I feel like the Bible would value related to women. If men are the head, I can see women being the heart. Okay? Equally valuable pieces of the body. We can't go on without either one of them. The, the function of headship is not a matter of superiority or inferiority. It's a matter of role and functioning. The head, listen to this, the head is for the benefit of the body. 
The head does not walk around and say, man, there's a hard corner on my kitchen cabinet. Let me kick my foot into it and see what will happen. We don't do that because that would be foolishness. That would be against the benefit of the body. The head is for the benefit of the body. And so how does it mean? What does it mean to function as a man in the role of headship? This is where this definition continues. Into his role of headship by using his strength to serve those around him. By using his strength to serve those around him. And here's from the foundational principle of to work in the garden. That men are to use the strength that God has given them to serve the people around them. Now, let me talk about this for a minute. Men are generally stronger than women. Now, you can get on me about that if you want to, because I can look around here, I can see women who can beat me in a 5K, and I'm okay with that, or I get that. But listen, you, you, you know this is true. Men... Boys have a wave of testosterone that comes over them at birth, and women don't have that. Men generally have broader shoulders than women. Why is that? Why is it that even in the military, all right, there are different requirements for getting into the Marines if you're a male than if you're a female? You can run slower as a female and get in than you do as a man. If you want to qualify for the Boston Marathon, there are two different standards of timing if you're a 25-year-old male or a 25-year-old female. You can run, quote-unquote, slower as a female and get in. Why? It's because we understand this as a principle of reality. It's a matter of human life. We are biologically different. Now, just because we're generally, okay, generally made stronger as men, what does that mean? Does that mean we get to dominate? Yes, if you're a boy. Right? Yes, if you're a boy, because that will be your default functioning in what I'm going to call sin. Your default functioning is let me use my strength to get what I need. That's boy behavior. Man behavior is I have strength. How can I use my strength to serve those around me, to protect my family, to care for and provide for them? I've been put in the garden to serve to work, and God has given me strength, not to be superior, but to use it wisely. That's man stuff. That's not boy stuff. To use my strength to serve other people through ordering the world for their benefit, the caretaking, the managing, the stewarding of the garden, of the world, of the home, of the church. This is, this is man stuff now to say, hey, if there's chaos at home, don't just let mama take care of that. Don't run from that and just go to work. If there's confusion with our children, we don't get to unplug from that because mom might be better at that than I am. If there's chaos in the church, we don't get to, as men, detach from that and hope the ladies figure that out. If there's confusion in the workplace and there's you know, chaos and something needs to get figured out, God has put men in place to care for and manage. Listen to me. Not that women cannot do those things. They can do them well. In fact, they can do them so well sometimes that men, we get intimidated by it. Whew, they seem so good at that. They seem so natural with that. You know, what should I do? I feel intimidated by that. We have been put in place to help with this. It doesn't mean we need to do it by ourselves. Listen to me on that. It doesn't mean we need to do it by ourselves but it does mean that we do not get to excuse ourselves from the responsibility of ordering the world for the benefit of the people around us. Next week, I'm going to take this issue and push it into, now what does it look like 
for us to do this in the home? What does it look like if you're a single man to do this as a single man? What does it mean to do this at work? And what does it mean to do this at church? In the community of faith. What does it mean to be a man in those situations in light of this? Now, men, one last thing I want to leave with you here, and then women, I want to talk to you, and then we're going to be done, right? Take this definition and boil it down to this. What if you were to see the world in this way? What if you were to do this? What if you were to, this week only, use your strength to serve those around you? What if only this week you woke up and you're like, you know what? How can I use my strength today to serve those around me? That's something you can remember. It's easy. It's easy to remember. What if you were to go to work and you're like, okay, well, how can I use my strength to serve those around me? What if you were to come home and you're exhausted, but you have a little bit of strength left? You have enough strength to sit down on the couch or to go help with dinner? You're like, I don't get the right as a man to say, I'm going to sit on the couch while she gets dinner ready. What if you exhaust your strength in service of those around you? What would that look like? You want to talk about what it means to be a man? A biologically born male who grows into his role of headship by using his strength to serve those around him through ordering the world for their benefit. What if you were just to think this way? Hey, today, I'm going to use my strength to serve those around me. That's what I do as a man. That's my calling. What if you're to serve your children that way and teach your young boys that? Hey, little Johnny, I know you're stronger than your sister. You want to know what boys do? Boys push sisters. You want to know what men do? Men protect sisters. I know you're angry, but that's boy stuff. This is man stuff. What's it going to look like to use your strength to serve those around you? We're going to talk more about that next week. Now, ladies, let me talk to you. Believe it or not, you have a very interesting role here. You have a very profound role. Uh, both single ladies, I want to talk to you if you're in junior high, high school, if you're in the young adult uh, range. Um, and if you're dating or you're looking for a guy to date and you're like, man, I don't know. Like, I've never met anybody like that, you know? Like, who, who am I supposed to find that does that kind of stuff? Yeah. Or if you're married now and you're like, boy, my husband doesn't. Boy, that sounds really great. And let me just tell you, of course your husband doesn't, okay? I mean, welcome to humanity. I just want to tell you, this is an ideal, and we're pushing on this, and we're going to kind of keep pushing on men. Of course there's going to be failures. And if you want to find a failure, you can even find a failure with Jesus, okay? I mean, just, just the reality. Let's look for ways to encourage and strengthen and nurture this within our, the, the men that you're interacting with. Now, but let me put it this way. Women, especially those who will be looking for someone to date and marry, don't lower the bar. Don't lower this bar. Do not expect that he will be like everybody else. Do not give him leeway to be an idiot. Do not give him freedom to be a boy and you're going to take care of him as his mama for the next 30 years. Because if you do that, he will do that. But if you raise the bar, I'm telling you, you don't believe me yet, but I'm telling you this is true. You have power to nurture growth within the men around you. If you do it in the right way. Do not lower this bar and settle for boys who refuse to grow, to use their strength to serve those around them. You may say, well, I'm never going to date anybody then. No, 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 no. 
you're going to find the right people with that heart value. Trust me on this. Do not lower the bar. And the boys and the young men around you will grow and rise to that level of expectation. But if it is so low, that is who you will find. Do not lower the bar on this. Real men, put here by God to use their strength to serve others by ordering the world for their benefit. What does this look like to do in the church, at home, at work? I'm going to take this further next week. If you felt slightly uncomfortable this week, come on back next week. Feel even more uncomfortable because we're going to go a little harder into what this will mean and what this will do for us as men. You can really pray for me then because in two weeks from now, I'm going to ask the question, what is a woman? All right. We're going to hide behind a plexiglass thing back here and just kind of, all right. Let's pray together and we'll wrap it up this morning. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you that we can be here this morning.